Welcome to A Great Big City News, Episode 15. Today, the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, a Central Park BN, and the East Village Gas Explosion. Visit agreatbigcity.com slash support to learn how to support New York City local news and allow us to keep bringing you this podcast. If you are a New York-based business and would be interested in sponsoring our podcast, visit agreatbigcity.com slash advertising to learn more. One hundred and eight years ago, on March twenty fifth, nineteen eleven, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire kills one hundred and forty six people, becoming the deadliest industrial disaster in the city's history. Located near Washington Square Park in the Ash Building, which had been constructed just ten years prior, the Triangle Shirtwaist Company employed mostly young immigrant women to sew shirtwaist, which were fancy blouses resembling men's dress shirts. Working in sweatshop-like conditions, the factory workers could not escape when a fire began in a bin of fabric scraps on the eighth floor. The building had insufficient safety infrastructure with no sprinklers and inadequate fire escapes and elevators for the factory's hundreds of workers. Most disturbingly, the doors to the stairwells could only be opened from the outside and swung inward, which sealed the workers inside. As the fire spread... Some were forced to jump from the building or down the elevator shaft to try and escape the flames. Others fell while attempting to escape down a flimsy rear fire escape that had only been installed to meet the minimum requirements of the city's burgeoning fire code. The fire would stand as the city's deadliest single-day event until the September 11th attacks. In the wake of the fire, the city improved fire safety requirements, introducing common features we take for granted today, such as exit signs, doors that swing outwards in commercial buildings, and improvements to firefighting equipment that can sufficiently pump large amounts of water up to the highest floors of New York buildings. Today, the site of the fire is known as the Brown Building and is part of the NYU campus. Disturbingly, a similar deadly fire would occur on the same day 79 years later at the Happy Land Club, a story we covered in episode 14 of the podcast. Four years ago, on March 26, 2015, a gas explosion and fire destroys three buildings at 2nd Avenue in St. Mark's, killing two, injuring 19, and displacing the residents of 144 apartments in neighboring buildings. The cause was determined to be an illegal tap into a natural gas line in the ground floor Sushi Park restaurant that was meant to provide the apartments above with gas service. Investigators theorized that the gas pipe had been illegally bypassed and then the bypass was removed while Con Ed inspected the pipes during an installation almost a year later. Then the bypass was likely reinstalled and created a leak that ignited, destroying three buildings, setting a seven-alarm fire, and causing the evacuation of 11 surrounding buildings. Five arrests were made in connection with the explosion. The building owners, a plumber, and a contractor on charges ranging from manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide and illegally modifying the gas lines. Of the five charged, the owner's son died at age 31 while awaiting sentencing, and just this week the plumber received probation and community service for his role in the gas pipe modification. All others are still awaiting sentencing. Fifty-two years ago, one of the first hippie B-ends of the 1960s came to Central Park on March 26, 1967. Thousands of people gathered at Central Park's Sheep Meadow for the festival-like celebration, including hippies, 
families, and neighborhood residents wandering in to investigate. Film footage from the day shows a playful atmosphere, with many types of people having picnics, carrying balloons, and watching several performers. Looking more like a circus than a protest, the BN was focused on fun and had no political overtones. Here's an excerpt from a 1967 Village Voice article on the event. The costumes ranged from Easter parade hats and morning suits, to high mod gear, to psychedelic robes. Many people painted their faces in wild designs and colors ranging from chalk white to glowing lavender. They often included a dot, a tiny mirror, or a diffraction disc pasted on their forehead. One man was dressed in a suit of long, shaggy strips of paper. Another person wore a jacket covered with buttons, all upside down. This isn't a day for slogans, he explained. As the day came to a close, the small group of police watching over the event moved in to break up the last revelers gathered on a hill, but the tense showdown resulted in police backing down to observe them from a distance and the attendees dispersing shortly after sunset. One year ago, on March 26, the NTSB releases their report on a deadly East River helicopter crash. The NTSB report concluded that a strap from a passenger's bag had likely slipped under the fuel shutoff lever of the sightseeing helicopter while they slid out to take one of the feet-dangling photos that Fly NY On promotes on their Instagram page. Listen to episode 12 of the podcast for the full story on the East River helicopter crash. One hundred and ten years ago, on March thirtieth, nineteen o nine, the Queensboro Bridge opens to traffic. While the Brooklyn Bridge may be the backdrop to vacation photos worldwide, no other New York City bridge hits as close to the heart when it comes to the name used for a certain borough connecting structure. Whether it's the Queensboro Bridge, Fifty Ninth Street Bridge, the Ed Koch Bridge, or even Blackwell's Island Bridge. The name applied to the bridge can give a good indication of what years that person spent in New York. On opening day, the bridge was regaled as one of the greatest structures in the world and would hold the title of longest cantilever span in North America until 1917. At a cost approaching $20 million, the bridge opened with an array of road surfaces, trolley tracks, train tracks, and walking paths. Of great concern during the construction was the amount of weight the bridge could safely hold, and changes in design were made to bring the weight down. 10,000 onlookers gathered at the Manhattan side as Mayor McClellan drove his automobile from City Hall to Midtown and crossed the bridge, meeting Queensboro officials in the middle. After the mayor returned to Manhattan, the police let the crowd free and many rushed to be the first to walk across the bridge. An article in the New York Tribune from March 31, 1909, mentioned that the mayor had to buy a toll ticket at the Manhattan side of the bridge, so there was originally a toll to cross the bridge. Recent proposals have suggested putting tolls back on the East River bridges, but Mayor Ed Koch, at the renaming ceremony for the bridge in 2011, said, quote, If there is any mention of putting a toll on that bridge, I shall run down to the bridge like Horatio and stand there with a sword to stop it. Thirty-four years ago, on March 31, 1985, the first WrestleMania is held at Madison Square Garden, featuring Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. The success of the event would propel wrestling into popular culture and boosted the WWF over any previous wrestling leagues. 
WrestleMania would routinely take place near the city, but would return to Madison Square Garden for the 10th and 20th anniversary shows. Coming up next week, on April 7th, WrestleMania 2019 comes to MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. You may think current subway troubles are pretty bad, but imagine a complete system shutdown. 39 years ago, on April 1st, 1980, 33,000 transit workers go on strike, bringing subways and buses to a standstill for 11 days. The Transport Workers Union Local 100 would eventually receive smaller pay increases and a cost-of-living adjustment, and the MTA would raise fares 20% to offset the difference. Four years ago, on April 2, 2015, two women are arrested in Jamaica, Queens for planning terrorist bombings. The two former roommates had accumulated bomb-making materials but had not yet selected a target, and the two women seemed to pledge allegiance to two separate terrorist organizations. While executing search warrants, investigators reportedly found three propane gas tanks, soldering tools, pipes, a pressure cooker, fertilizer, flux, detailed handwritten notes on the recipes for bomb-making, and extensive jihadist literature. The two women were charged with conspiring to use a weapon of mass destruction and pled not guilty, and are still awaiting trial. It was a perplexing scene in Jersey City over 100 years ago, as a two-story home had recently gone missing. On March 27, 1916, a Manhattan real estate agent showed up at number 946 Garfield Avenue in Jersey City to show the location to a potential buyer, but found only the foundation of the home remaining at the location. According to later detective work, the house had been moved away piece by piece by unknown persons over the course of a few weeks. Since the real estate agent was the one to discover the missing structure, it's possible that the owner had moved it without informing him, but that's just as strange an occurrence as thieves removing the house piece by piece. Searching through newspaper archives didn't provide any follow-up stories on the case. In the 100 years since, the entire neighborhood has disappeared, much like number 946 Garfield Avenue. The block has been redeveloped with a new building facing Barry Lane Park. March 28, 1963, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds premieres at the Palace Theater on Broadway. Based on the novel of the same name, Hitchcock's film became an instant hit and was noted for its innovative special effects and sparse soundtrack. The New York premiere involved the release of 1,000 homing pigeons, but the London premiere a few months later was a bit more colorful, with two flamingos, 50 red cardinals and starlings, and six penguins, and it even had loudspeakers hidden in the trees to play screeching bird calls as the audience exited the film. For 16 years, the Mad Bomber planted explosive devices around New York City, and March 29, 1951 began his largest streak of attacks. The bomber had first attacked as far back as November 1940 with an explosive that was simply placed on a windowsill of a Con Edison power plant on 64th Street, but as the 1951 bombings began, his targets expanded to many New York City landmarks. Here's how the New York Times described his rash of bombings. For his new wave of bombings... George Metesky mainly chose public buildings as targets, bombing several of them multiple times. Bombs were left in phone booths, storage lockers, restrooms in public buildings, including Grand Central Terminal, five times, Pennsylvania Station, five times, Radio City Music Hall, three times, 
the New York Public Library twice, the Port Authority Bus Terminal twice, and the RCA building, as well as in the New York City subway. Metesky also bombed movie theaters where he cut into seat upholstery and slipped explosive devices inside. In all, the Mad Bomber planted 33 bombs, of which 22 exploded. Some bombs were seen as possible scare devices not intended to explode, and others simply caused property damage and startled people nearby. The Mad Bomber's explosions resulted in 15 injuries and no deaths. Based on handwriting and the bomber's focus on Con Edison, authorities were able to identify him as George Metesky, and he was arrested in 1957 at his home in Waterbury, Connecticut. He was found legally insane and committed to the Madawan Hospital for the criminally insane. Metesky had blamed his treatment at Con Edison for his resulting tuberculosis, and his anger at this incident had fueled his bombings. But in a strange twist of fate, his disease cleared up during his time in the mental hospital, and he lived long enough to be released 16 years later and lived 20 more years in Waterbury, Connecticut, dying aged 90 in 1994. A Great Big City has been bringing you daily New York City news since 2010, but the AGBC podcast is just getting started and we need your support. Individuals can make a monthly or one-time contribution at agreatbigcity.com support. And local businesses can have a lasting impact by supporting local news while promoting their own products or services directly to interested customers listening to this podcast. Visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to learn more. With your support, you can guarantee that a great big city will be here to tell future generations of New Yorkers about any townhouses that go missing, piece by piece. Park of the Day Great Kills Park in Staten Island The Great Kills beaches along Staten Island's east coast are perfect for summer recreation or watching wildlife. The city park portion is near Oakwood and New Dorp Beach, whereas the National Park, also named Great Kills, is to the south at Bay Terrace. Watch your step in the National Park portion because nearly half of the land is closed and being tested for radioactivity. If you're looking for a less dangerous scare, try your hand at paranormal investigating. The Morris Jamel Mansion in Upper Manhattan is holding a night of ghost hunting where you can learn about the history of the house and see the equipment ghost hunters use when investigating old properties. Tickets are required, and the event takes place from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. on Saturday, March 30th. Visit the link in the show notes to find out more. And now let's see where our robot friend will be haunting this week on the concert calendar. This is the AGBC concert calendar for the week of Tuesday, March 26th. Billy Idol and Steve Stevens are playing Town Hall on Wednesday, March 27th at 8 p.m. Failure and Swerve Driver are playing Warsaw on Friday, March 29th at 7 p.m. The Cure, Def Leppard, Janet Jackson, Radiohead, Roxy Music, Stevie Nicks, and The Zombies are playing the Barclays Center on Friday, March 29th at 7 p.m. Mathel Ethel and Teen are playing elsewhere on Friday, March 29th at 7 p.m. Half Noise, Liam Bensvi, and Lip Talk are playing Market Hotel on Friday, March 29th at 8 p.m. 
Nils Fromm is playing Brooklyn Steel on Friday March 29th at 8 p.m. Better Oblivion Community Center, Christian Lee Hudson, and La 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 are playing the Bowery Ballroom on Friday March 29th at 8 p.m. Sasha Sloan is playing Bowery Ballroom on Saturday March 30th at 8 p.m. Zoe Keating are playing Joe's Pub on Sunday March 31st at 7 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. Simple Creatures is playing Public Arts on Monday April 1st. Avi Ter and Nathan Bowles are playing Market Hotel on Monday April 1st at 8 p.m. Cradle of Filth, Raven Black, and Wednesday 13 are playing Irving Plaza on Wednesday April 3rd at 6 p.m. X Hex and Moaning are playing the Bowery Ballroom on Thursday, April 4, 8 p.m. Madmus and Keith Fullerton Whitman are playing Pioneer Works on Thursday, April 4, at 7 p.m. Whitey Morgan and the 78s is playing Gramercy Theatre on Friday, April 5, at 7 p.m. Team Body and Sean Nicholas Savage are playing Sunnyvale on Friday, April 5, at 7.30 p.m. Arthur and Ghost Tortured are playing Babies All Right on Friday, April 5th at 8 p.m. Broncho is playing Elsewhere on Saturday, April 6th at 7 p.m. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. I told you about the 1960s BN that took place in Central Park, but did you know? Central Park's Great Lawn was originally a reservoir of fresh water for the city's water supply system. In 1931, it was filled in with material excavated from the Rockefeller Center and 8th Avenue subway construction. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history. A record high of 86 degrees Fahrenheit on March 29, 1945. And a record low of 10 degrees Fahrenheit on March 29, 1923. Weather for the week ahead, light rain on Sunday, with high temperatures rising to 68 degrees on Saturday. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City, or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or CastBox, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Thanks for being part of A Great Big City.